Well, good morning, church. It has, um, it has been nice having Jonathan and Precious and family with us this weekend. I mean, isn't it kind of ironic that, I mean, just the one weekend that they come to visit, we just happen to get this fluke, cold snap and snow. It was this time two years ago that, um, that my search team was telling me that winters, you know, up here really aren't all that bad. I'm also still waiting on my signing bonus and the company car. <laughs> so here's how this kind of works today. Um, if you'll hang around after the service, if you'd like to, we're going to have a, maybe about a half hour Q&A. Uh, with Jonathan here in the auditorium. And if you have to get up and go, we certainly understand. At the end of our service, we'll take a break. And if you need to go, you can. If you want to stay, we'll have about a half-hour Q&A right here uh, for them. Uh, the questions will be text message, and that'll all be explained. and It'll be up here on the screen. And uh, we'll take the opportunity for him to answer your questions that way. Um, our search team will also be available following the service if you have any questions that you would like to ask of them. And I want to personally thank you for your flexibility with our timing. You know, we, we kind of needed to move things along at a, a little positive pace with this. And the reason being is um, I leave with my family for vacation next Sunday, and if we weren't able to do this today, our next opportunity would have been March 31st. So it was kind of like either now or it's going to be the very end of the month. And so thank you for being flexible with us uh, for this. I really appreciate your kindness and letting us squeeze this in today. So here we go. Get a jump start. Grab your copy of the scriptures or your electronic device and turn to James in chapter 4, if you would please. And today's text deals, of all things, with the issue of quarrels and fights among believers in James chapter 4. Now, fights are not new, and fights among believers are not new. And in fact, the first recorded fight in the Bible was actually the second recorded sin of the Bible, and it was, you ready for this? It was two brothers who were worshipers of God and one killed the other over issues stemming about worship. And fights have always happened. In fact, there were two men who lived in a small village and they got in this terrible dispute and they just couldn't resolve it. So they decided to talk to the town sage about their dispute. And the first man went to the sage's home and told his version of what happened. And when he finished, the sage said, you're absolutely right. Well, the next night, the second man called on the sage and told his side of the story. And the sage responded, you're absolutely right. Well, after he left, the sage's wife scolded her husband. She said, those two men you, you, who told you two different stories, 
You said they were both absolutely right. She said, that's impossible. They both can't be absolutely right. The sage turned to his wife and said, you're absolutely right. Well, here we go in James 4. He's not going to tell us today, you're absolutely right. He's going to give us some real answers to what's really at the heart of our quarrels and fights that we go through in life. So you're there in James chapter 4. I'm just going to read the first three verses. And he's going to address two kinds of fights which we're going to talk about this morning. So notice verses 1 through 3. Here's how my copy of the scripture reads. It says, what causes, and notice the two distinctions, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And you desire but do not have, so you kill. And you covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, but when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Interesting. So here you go. Do you have your copy of your East Bay Weekly? Flip it over to the back. There's a number of outline blanks that we're going to walk through over the next couple moments. James addresses two kinds of fights. The very first kind are the fights with each other. The fights with each other. And notice he talks initially about, rate the very first phrase, what causes fights and quarrels. And here's the distinguishing phrase he says, among you. What causes these fights and quarrels among you? Now, this is exactly parallel with what he talked about in chapter 3 and verse 13. He's talking about believers. Hey, all of you folks who profess to be Christians, what causes these problems that you may have among you? And now he's talking then about fights. And the word that he uses is just like our English word for polemic when he talks about fights, and when he talks about quarrels, the word sounds like that of verbal disputes, and so he's talking about physical confrontation. He's talking about this war of words, people saying things back and forth, verbal disputes, the war of the words. And the fight specifically are these war of the words amongst Christians. Now, this isn't the first time that Scripture mentions examples of fighting amongst others. I wrote down a bunch of them. Let me just give you a whole bunch of examples of fights amongst Christians in the Bible. So here we go. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul mentions some arguments that people were having. And in fact, he uses, of all things, a word I was not allowed to say as a child. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish, and here's the word I was not allowed to say as a child, and stupid arguments. 
And here the word I was not allowed to say as a child, I can actually say in church. It says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because they produce quarrels, he says. And then he goes on, and, and this must have been a big deal, because even if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, there was Lot and Abraham early on in Scripture. Two guys that had a dispute over where they were going to be. Father-son duo David and Absalom. Then there were the disciples who fought over who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Then there were the Corinthian church individuals who were taking each other to court. Can you believe that? Then there were the Galatian church people. And here's the exact quote from the book of Galatians. Paul said that they were biting and devouring each other with their fights and their words. And then the church at Philippi had two women in it. And here's a couple names for you. Yodia and Syntyche, who were going at it. And I always remembered their words... um, Syntyche, we, we always in Bible college called her so touchy. Here, here their, their relationship, they were just oversensitive and they were going at it in the church. And here's the people that Jesus said, by this, by our love for one another, the whole world will know that we're Christians. And here's all these Christians just duking it out fighting and arguing. Maxwell Perkins, a famous book editor, once wrote this. He said, one of my deepest convictions is that the terrible harms that are done in this world are not done deliberately by evil people. Now think about this. He says, people who are not numerous and are soon found out. They are done by the good by those who are so sure that God is with them, that nothing can stop them, for they are certain that they are right. I wish I could say that churches of today are exempt from the fights and quarrels among you. Exempt from these arguments and disputes I will say that we at East Bay Calvary right now are experiencing a very positive time in our church family. And it feels really good, doesn't it? I truthfully know of no arguments floating around this place right now. So don't start one. And you know, and our peace is not because of a perfect pastor or pastoral staff. And it's not because of a perfect congregation. I'd like to think it's due to the presence of grace in the midst of our imperfections. Probably it's a good time for me to say right now, 
thank you for letting me learn as a new guy. I look forward to not being the new guy. Um, thank you for grace. And I mean that. Um, thank you for grace as I've learned church culture. As I've learned protocol, as I've flubbed on a few things here and there, as even as I've exercised some preferences that may not have been yours. Um, and I think that we're learning by now that unity is not uniformity. There's no way that we're going to all love and do everything the same. And when we understand that and when we extend grace to one another and when we unify on one mission of more and better, the spirit in this place gets real special. It's something that not only do we enjoy, the beauty of it is I believe God enjoys it. And, and I just want to say, personally, good work, church. Really good work. I appreciate everything that you are doing. Yeah. You don't even need to clap. I'm clapping for you, really. But let's be careful. Because growing churches are choice targets of our adversary. And I've learned in my little quarter century of ministry that people can go from defenders to defectors in a hurry. And we always need to be on alert and we always need to have our Hand extended with grace in a heartbeat. In fact, 17th century Jewish philosopher Spinoza observed this, and I know it's a little different wording, but follow it for a moment. He said, I've often wondered that persons who make boast of professing the Christian religion, namely love, joy, peace, temperance, and charity to all men, should quarrel with such rancorous animosity and display daily toward one another such bitter hatred that this, rather than the virtues which they profess, is the readiest criteria of their faith. In other words, in today's language, Christians are some of the worst fighters. And then it's not just church, it's marriage. It's parenting, it's kids, it's work. We're all prone to fighting. So much of it is unnecessary. Like this little poem, a, a horse can't pull while kicking. This fact we merely mention, and he can't kick while pulling, which is our chief contention. So let's imitate the good old horse and leave a like that's fitting and just pull an honest load and then there'll be no time for kicking. So the main battle that is external is our fighting with each other, our fighting in marriage, our fighting with Children are fighting at work. There's all of this fighting, but here's the deal. It's not just enough to say, okay, stop fighting. Now let's close in prayer. That's not enough. 
Here's the big question. Where do the fights come from? That's where James goes. So here's number two. The first fight is the fights among each other or with each other. Here's the big fight. He says in verse 1, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? So number two, there's the fight within ourselves. Number one was the fights with each other. Number two is the fight within ourselves. How many times have we said to our children, especially in the cars we're driving down the road, and you hear them back there, and I'm sure on our way to Florida in a week, we're going to be saying it. Stop the fighting. Stop it. But that doesn't really solve it. Because it's deeper than that. Where does the fight start? The fight ultimately starts within there's a root to our fight. And here's where it is. It is the battle within us. And so the battle within us is unique. There's a couple words that he uses here. Notice in verse 1 he mentions, don't they come from your desires or passions? The word is Hedon, which we get hedonism from, our pleasures. I want something. And because I want something and it's not happening, there's going to be a problem. He mentions verse 2 and he explains it. You desire, I want it and I don't have it. So you're going to pay for it. And in this case, you kill. You covet, I want. I can't get what I want. So I quarrel and I fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. But then notice what else I do. I pull God into my problem. Hey, I'm going to ask God to give me what I want. But then my motives are all screwed up. I fight with other people, and the root of that fight with others is my desire. So let me just put it in plain language, and here's the blank for you. And I think when I put this out there and I tell you, I'm admitting this for myself, and I think we all can just become a big support group here this morning the ultimate fight within us is selfishness. It is. Hey, I'm there, people. We all deal with selfishness. I want something and it doesn't happen. Don't you get that little... Did you hear about the clever salesman who closed hundreds of sales with this line? Let me show you something your neighbor said you can't afford. 
Oh, yeah? <laughs> I sure can afford it. And this selfish desire leads to wrong actions and leads to wrong motives. And then even we pull God into it. It's all the reasons that um, James is addressing these disputes. Certainly there's battles worth fighting. Especially when they're truths of Scripture that God wants us to defend. However, I think most of the things that believers battle and marriages battle are not those kinds of things. It's selfishness. It's at our core so ingrained as a reflex reaction, we instantly react with a response that defends our likes, our tastes, our pleasures, our preferences, our comfort. And selfishness is a bad trait. It's a bad trait for personal life, for marriage, for church, for employment. And selflessness is gorgeous for the church, for marriage, for employment, for being a believer. And Jesus even said, if anyone wants to follow after me, do you know how this goes? He must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself? deny himself. And when we deny self, there's a lot less to fight over. Reminds me of a mother who was preparing pancakes for her sons, Kevin and Billy. Kevin was five, Billy was three. The boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake and the mother saw a beautiful opportunity for a moral lesson. She said, Kevin, Billy, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. So Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, Billy, you be Jesus. Here's three action items for us. Are we on to something this morning? Or am I just preaching it myself today? You know what we're talking about. Three action items I want us to think about in light of these battles. I'm not just going to say... Stop fighting. You know, in marriage, stop fighting with your spouse. It doesn't do it. But the first action item I do want us to think about is evaluate your battlefields. Evaluate your battlefields with others. There's something to be said for being at peace with others. And in fact, 
where we went last week in our message discussion, James mentioned it's a, it's a sign of being wise. Biblically wise is, is having peace with other people. And, and Jesus even said, blessed are the peacemakers. They're called the sons of God. And Paul gave his rendition of this when he said, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Like, there's something to this peace thing. And evaluate our battlefields. I, I think it's about um, maybe 10, 12 years ago, my uh, family, we went to Williamsburg, Virginia on vacation. And I remember um, we went to Gettysburg. And I was thinking um, as we went and visited the battlefields down there of what it must have been like. You know, a couple hundred years prior when that whole area was just strewn with horses and cannons and bodies and the turf just being tore up all around and just imagine this the screaming of people and the trumpets and and all of the artillery going off as as people were duking it out during this civil war time period and 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 to have that mental image in mind as we, as we saw some of the paintings and the pictures that were portrayed of all that happened in that time of war and battle. You imagine what the field looked like when all of the battle was done, all of the carnage, all of the display, all of the wreckage, all of the torn turf, everything that must have been around that whole region, what it looked like. But then here we were, and it was quiet. I mean, the only screaming that we heard was probably more like laughing of kids that were running around and having a blast. Everything was beautiful and manicured. In fact, probably the uh, the most violent thing that happened that day is they were mowing the lawn. I mean, it looked like a golf course, really. Now, of course, the way I play golf, sometimes that can look like a battlefield when I get done playing, but... You know, and, and so I ask, what do our battlefields look like? you look at your relationship maybe in your church with some church people is it peaceful is it mowed is it calm with your spouse with your kids in your home and we really need to take the time to evaluate our battlefields is the grass growing? Because grass looks much better on our battlefield than dirt. Number one, evaluate your battlefields with others. Number two, and this is so important, 
It's not enough to battle behavior. We must battle desire. And if there's anything that we can really emphasize this morning, this is it. It's not enough to battle behavior. We must battle desire. It's not enough to bite our tongue, to zip our lips. We've got to really get at the core of why we battle. And and we need to deal with the desires that push us into battle that push that behavior to to want to deal and and jump into quarreling. This is what James is talking about. And and, and here's the reality, and and I need to say this because I've thought this myself. If we look at our world around us and believe that we are surrounded by idiots, and I'm the only person that's always right, we might be losing this internal battle that James is talking about. We really think, you know what, I have it all figured out. And you know the problem with everyone around me is they're not doing it my way. That's the starting place of a battle that we need to deal with or our life will be filled with quarrels. Or worse yet, it will be filled with loneliness. Because not a whole lot of people are going to want to be around that. So I have a little exercise for us this morning. You ready for this? Even if you're not, we're going to do it. There's a few phrases that we can practice here this morning that if we can say together... They will help us to break the battle of selfishness. We ready for this? I will say it and then you repeat after me. Doesn't that sound exciting? Okay. Here we go. Phrase number one. I'll say it and then you repeat after me. I like how you think. Let's try it your way this time. It doesn't really matter to me. Pastor, you're always right. <laughs> oh, you didn't say that one, did you? Okay, keep working on that one, would you? Let's at least try this one. You are more important to me than this issue. Yeah. You know, if we can say things like that, Then we're beginning to win the war on selfishness. Those are big words to say. Here's number three. This is the big one, gang. Embrace Christ's selfless love. Embrace Christ's selfless love. The more we peel back the gospel of Jesus to experience each layer, 
I believe the more it influences our ability to be selfless. Think about it. Jesus lived in limitless spirit, in full majesty, and worship in heaven. Just imagine that. Everyone knew who he was. He was worshipped in totality. He was unlimited spirit, and he left all of that to become an, an infant. To be unrecognized by the world as deity. To work, to be mocked, to be beaten, to be spit upon, to be tortured, and ultimately to be killed upon a cross. For people who didn't like him, for people who didn't deserve this, for people who've sinned against him and lived in a way completely contrary to him. And friends, when it comes to selfishness, no one is more selfless than Jesus Christ. Here's how another scripture puts it, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. There is no one more selfless than Jesus no one loves you more than Jesus. And there's something that everyone in, in here, we can all do something today about this selflessness. We can all do something that will battle this desire today. And, and here, here's what it comes down to. Number one, numero uno, we need to believe in our heart and embrace the reality that Jesus died on the cross for us. He did this selfless death for us to die for our sin. That's why he came. All of us deserve eternal punishment in hell apart from God. And Jesus Christ did this selfless love for you, for me? And what we need to do, folks, is embrace it, believe it. And so here's how this works. We need to come to a conscious decision in our life and say, God, I know that I have wronged you in many ways and I know that my wrong needs to be punished and I believe that Jesus Christ bore my punishment when he died on the cross. I believe it. I give my life to you right now. You need to do that in your head and in your heart. You need to embrace that selflessness. That's where true selflessness starts. It's when we embrace the God of selflessness.
And then friends, for all who have embraced selfless Jesus, we need to daily deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, commit our lives to selflessness. If there is one organization in all the earth that should be the most selfless, loving organization, it should be the church. Where we haven't just bitten our tongues, but we've changed our desires. Where the church is different, where the marriages are different, where our kids are different, where our relationships are different Because people say of the church, those people are all about others and I just don't get it. But they are so focused on others, it's like they don't even care about themselves. And we can tell them, you want to know why we don't really care about ourselves? It's because our leader didn't care about about himself. It's because he cared about us. And we just want to be like him. That's what it is. And we want our world to see that. It's what changed our lives. It's what's going to change theirs. And we can rid all of these arguments. We change the desire on the inside. And we embrace the selfless nature of Jesus Christ. Would you, in your mind right now, would you close your eyes? This is compelling, folks. This is something we need. This is life-changing. Number one, if you have never, ever embraced the forgiving love of Jesus and given your life to him and said, forgive me, I believe you died on the cross for me. That needs to happen today. Would you do that? Would you acknowledge in your heart your sin to God, that your sin deserves punishment? And ask God to forgive you in the name of Jesus Christ. And believer, would you along with your pastor say, time to say goodbye to self. Enough of that old guy, that old gal. She or he has given me a lot of trouble, got me in a lot of fights. It's just not worth it. Would you commit to your grass growing on your battlefield? start that today. 
you know which ones need some help. I'm going to give you a moment of silence right now in your heart. And then I want to pray for you. Would you take a moment of silence? Do some business with God right now. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, thank you for the selfless love that has been given to undeserving people like us. And we we know that that's what we're supposed to reflect. And in times and in ways it has happened, and thank you for blessing us with that. And may this church absolutely rock it out. May our community see it, and may this blow through our marriages and our homes and with our kids. And may the world truly see that we are followers of Jesus because of our love for one another. Change our desires, continue to grow us to be more like our leader, Jesus Christ, who gave everything for us. And so we give who we are to him. And all of you space said, 